Welcome to Breakfast At, a podcast dedicated to creating safe, no-judgment spaces for individuals to speak and be heard, engage and reflect, all while eating breakfast at some of the best locally-owned spots in town. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, as we start our day here at Breakfast At, the Phillips Avenue Diner. Um, wonderful local spot here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, they have been serving up delicious breakfast for several, several decades, I want to say now. Um, and as always, just amazing food, amazing service, uh, great quaint location. It's awesome. Uh, if you haven't been here, they have an amazing breakfast menu, lunch menu. You show up any time of the day. They are not 24 hours, though. That's the one thing I think that always set apart what I used to consider diners. Diners, I always used to think, were like 24 hour things. Yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> I don't want to put up with those people from paying to o'clock in the morning. Like, not, not being 24 hours is what gets you the good customer service. Because mm-hmm. if I had to stay here for 24 hours working, I'd probably not have good customer service. Yeah, that's fair, right? <laughs> right. You're like, that's a whole day. Yeah. No. Yeah, no, because that was, uh, reminds me of like the Denny's or the, uh, the IHOPs some places in Vegas that, you know, it, by necessity for 24 hours because you just, you had to have that kind of, and almost always it was, I noticed it was less the customer service and more the customers that were just, you have 24-hour service, you have of all kinds of people coming in. There was this this place, that's, it's called the City Cafe, mm. and it's in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay. So when I lived there, we'd go clubbing on the weekends and every single soul awake at three in the morning ends up at city cafe and as soon as you walk in it's just like this very clean kind of design like this but they just go overboard with the grease aesthetic mm. you know the music the, uh, like, the, the yeah. boots everything yeah. even the servers and it was just a fun place to be Drunk, high, whatever you're on, and just eat cheesecake and shitty breakfast. Too. A little more time here. Yeah. Uh, give us just a little bit, and yeah. then yeah, absolutely take your time. We're close, the promise. We're close. <laughs> I misunderstood that when you said grease. I thought you meant like cooking <laughs> grease, not the like, <laughs> like Fonzie grease. Uh, John Travolta, and like, uh, what, an was that, what was her name? Olivia Newton John. Rest in peace. She did pass away. Unfortunately, yeah, that's funny. Sorry, I, we won't I had that same. Day. I had that same question. I was like, "Greasy isn't greasy, or grease is in the musical?" That's awesome. Yeah, right. And you have those places that that keep that aesthetic in such a way, and they do they do make it. It's interesting because it does feel like. Like, you want to get into it because you want to be in that space, yeah. but it also can be overwhelming if you're not like, expecting it. on average, not my seat. But when everybody's going in and, you know, you end up there, then it's all of a sudden it's like, this is not so bad, actually. This is great. Right, right. Well, so breakfast. What is a, what is a breakfast you normally enjoy and, and indulge in? Something that you found that is... Hmm. What is a favorite breakfast of yours? Okay, so <coughs> since, since since I've moved here, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. A, we'll get there. Okay. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. So since I'm like 
moved to America, yeah, my breakfast choices have changed drastically. Okay. So now I'm just a good Midwestern, give me some bacon, some eggs, kind of potatoes guy. Yeah. But culturally speaking, a good hearty breakfast is what most people consider dinner for me. So, like, a good pot of um, rice with some chicken liver, you know, or, or just... For breakfast. For breakfast, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. All right. Like, it's the same thing. It's protein and carbs. No, it's and that's fair. Right. It's a okay. different form. Yeah. It, it gets weirder because it's like, it's, it's, a, it's almost like a struggle cope mechanism. So being Jamaican and living in the rural countryside, like growing yeah. up in a rural countryside... People weren't the best off, right? Okay. So growing up in poverty, you learn uh, cute but not so efficient ways to get around and like stay alive. So a okay. breakfast, you're welcome. Hearty and huge. So, because you might not eat the rest of the day, yeah. so and you just get all the energy you can. Yeah. So you just wake up early in the morning, cook up entire feast, and then just subsist on that for the day. Interesting. Huh. Go hard early. Yes. And maintain the rest yeah. of the. Interesting. Huh. No, I, I, but I guess that would or make sense why. Maybe that's... we're just greedy people. I don't know. No, no, no. <laughs> it, it would make sense why that would be the breakfast you would have because if the perspective is get what you can in the morning because yeah. that's what's going to sustain you. Right. You're not thinking, you, you don't look at French toast like it's a hearty meal for breakfast. Oh, no. You're like, this isn't going to do the yeah. job. People who eat French toast for breakfast know they're going to have brunch and lunch and there's dinner. Right, there's more food coming. You're not looking for the sustainability. You're not You're not looking for the long output of the energy. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, see, and that's, it's a, it's thing because for me, breakfast used to be the, it was the eggs, um, but it was always in the form of like an omelet or um, what my grandmother used to call um, tortilla española. So it was, it was an egg bake without putting it in a bake, right? Right, without putting it, so it was like, a, it was like a non-flipped omelet. And that's what we used to call it because what she would do is she would cut up vegetables, she would put like different types of you know stuff inside and then she would just let it sit on the pan and it would sit and she'd put a top over it it would harden over on the top and she'd cut it like a pizza or a pie and so you'd get it served like a little slice of this and then maybe a little salsa and some spruce on it you know what I mean and I'd destroy the entire pan because it was delicious but you know it was um I never yeah I, to to look at that and I think uh breakfast for me was ruined cereal wise because of that so my grandmother, when I was a kid, rest rest her in peace, man. She was a wonderful lady, but I had to struggle with finishing cereal in the morning. So ADHD, just completely out of my mind. That when I would sit at the table to eat breakfast, I couldn't just focus on eating. Um, so what would happen was, is I would I would stop eating and then I would leave for school, and my grandmother would keep that bowl of cereal the entire day and force me to eat it when I got home. <laughs> at least she would try. So I would eat just soggy. Blah. I still remember. It's hard to talk about. See, I'd get one over on your grandma if that was me because I absolutely love soggy cereal. That's the only kind of oh, Okay. I don't. The crunch? No. What? In fact. I, too much no. crunch. I get that. In fact, how I do cereal, and I will only eat, oh, 
Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, you ready? You ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, can I do the B and G platter, please? Absolutely. How do you like your eggs? Wreck them, please. Sounds great. <laughs> I love that. That's an option. <laughs> wreck no, it is. It is. No, I know. I know. <laughs> it's a red. Right? You're like wreck them. You're like, wow, that's uh, aggressive. <laughs> um, I'll do the farmer's scramble. Absolutely. That is always delicious. Can I have the hollandaise sauce on the side? You certainly can. Perfect. Perfect. Now, little chicken fried steak. Okay. Over easy. Perfect. And for toast, we have white wheat, sourdough, rye, or good old plain white sauce. Great. Could I do some sourdough on the side for mine? Absolutely. I think I'm happy with some toast with the eggs. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But you enjoy soggy cereal. I do. And so you were going to say this process that you go through? Here's my process. And first, <laughs> I want to know this. My wife, when she, the first time my wife saw it, she was like, oh my God, how could you? And a few months later, I got her to taste it. And now she's like, well, you know, it's not so bad. Okay. Okay. Again, okay. Maybe I'm greedy, but I blame it on the culture. Every meal has to be as chopped pack of everything as possible. Sure. Because, you know, you just never know when the next one's coming. Yeah. yeah. So when I go to get cereal, firstly, I only like cornflakes. I'm not doing fruit loops or fruit okay. pebbles or none of that stuff. It's fair. Cornflakes. Yeah, not... Frosted or not. Whichever you pick. Or even maybe the the wheat stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? Raisin bran. Raisin bran. Right. Oh. Okay. See? But, yeah, I get a, a bowl full of milk. Usually almond milk. Not a big fan of just plain old dairy. Put that in the microwave. Heat it up for two minutes. Get it steamy and boiled. Okay. And then you dump your cornflakes in it. Right? So immediately it's going to get soggy because, like, it's hot. <laughs> Mix that around yeah. a little bit. Get some peanut butter. Dump that in there. What? If you have some bread laying around or crackers or anything like that, squish them up, drop them in there, and you just... Mix that around until it becomes a thick, hearty paste. Oh my god! And then you just enjoy. This sounds like your worst nightmare. <laughs> this, this does. <laughs> this so does too. Oh, I absolutely love it. Like oh. it is my go-to food for whatever. If I'm happy, that's what I'm eating. I'm sad, that's what I'm eating. Yo, yep. this is tra- traumatizing and it's uh, an amazing experience at the same time. Wow. I know, Would man. Would you be willing I, to try it? I do not. I, I mean, Carl, if he was doing it, maybe. Yeah, if, like, I, if he made it, I'd yeah. give, I'd give, I'd give a no thank you helping spoon. <laughs> yes, try it and be like, all right, let's go. That's interesting. I can tell you now, it's not a pretty sight. Sure. I do not profess that it is pretty, but yeah. it sure tastes great. But, uh, but you, you have this where you actually blend it all together in a sense. Yeah, yeah. It's all one contiguous, like yeah. You know, just. Best way of, well, maybe not shouldn't describe this to people, I'm hoping will try it, but that one uh, movie with Arnold where he goes, they're serving people, that goo that they... Oh, that's Silent Green. Yeah, yeah. that's, um, uh, I forgot his name, yeah. not Marlon Brando, I forgot, because he does Ben-Hur too. Yeah. Yep, yes. that guy, yep. That's, it looks like that. That's funny. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, no, worst nightmare for sure. <laughs> for sure. Because <laughs> it's like, but the fact that you, so you intentionally go through that process because that is something that for you is very. It's a joy snack. Yeah, yeah. It's a joy snack. That mm-hmm. very much is a joy snack. Interesting. 
Yeah, it, it's I, like people. Uh, I, I would imagine everybody has a random weird concoction mm. that they enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. mm-hmm. like I've seen my wife eat some stuff where I'm like, hold on now. But then I'm the same person that eats pig feet and chicken feet and chicken li- and then you know she finds it weird and I'm like I've never had anybody think this was weird so now I'm having to introspect and be like is this weird yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah but and, and the strange part that it is that it's something that you did intentionally and you do intentionally whereas I didn't actually have it and want it intentionally right so I think that for me it's less because of the thing uh-huh. more because it was just a traumatic experience the and situation I'm just so overall. sick and disgusted yeah. of it and you know it wasn't tended to and put together with love and compassion it was just sat there waiting for me like an old you know just an old thing that's just like eh. okay so which one was it was it was it grandma trolling you was she being <laughs> hey conservative is in make sure you eat all your food I, I I would say that it was less her trying to be uh, mean and cruel oh yes please Perfect. and more of it of being that it's just right. like you know learning to finish your food and not waste but you know the way she would do it was very little top aggressive yeah, yeah no, but yeah no I I, I don't want to say it was it was meant to be, um, she wasn't doing it intentionally to be harmful. Right. I don't think, I don't think in any way. It was just one of those where it's like, you know, because after a while it did stop. And after a while, um, I actually, so. So maybe the joke got old. Well, no, she, it wasn't funny anymore to her. <laughs> it wasn't anymore. Listen, I will just believe forever that she was trolling you. Yeah. And like she'd sit there all day laughing going, I can't wait for me. Can't wait. Well, so here's the funny part. This is the best. This is the best part. What came from it was the revelation of how I eat cereal now, mm-hmm. right? So now I do not mix my cereal with my milk. The only time they mix is in my mouth because I love that crunch. I love that crunchy flavor and I love the crunchy texture. It's, it's like a fresh bite every time. So I will have my cup of cereal, mouth full of cereal, and a swig of milk. And it's a perfect bite every time. And that's what came from this tremendous More power to you, man. I I feel like I pulled it around because it no longer became... I stopped stopped eating cereal for the longest time. And then it was like, well, I really miss cereal. And I love my cereal. And this was my favorite. That was what came from it. And I was like, well, okay. If I don't like soggy stuff, then I don't have to keep my cereal in the milk. I can just put it in another apparatus. Solutions. Yes. (laughs) She taught me how to maneuver. I was going to say, that's a life adaptability right That is. Yes. Yes, it was. Take your trauma and incorporate it into your life. Yep. It felt that way. (laughs) I know we've talked about it, but... What's yeah, your freaky food? That's what I'm gonna call it. Freaky, freaky food. Foods. Yeah. Mm. That one-off thing that everybody does is freaky food. Freaky <laughs> food. I'm pretty boring when it comes to food. I was thinking of like cereal. Like you both are talking about cereal, and I was like, did we? We did cereal in the morning, but we really love pop tarts. Pop tarts. I have some friends okay. who can attest to that. Well, is all I would ever have. We the school bus, and we had to be on the bus at like. Okay. 6.45, so it was like, grab and go. Yeah, that's fair. That's what they were good for. Yeah. I don't know, I can't think of it. Well, while you think about that, yeah. I will say, um, 
foods, what would you classify foods like that? Like pop torts or eggos or, you know, those fast microwavable food. Microwavable food. Yes. There we go. Scrambled yeah. into this awesome food. thing. Okay, awesome. There you go. <laughs> microwavable <laughs> foods. I mean, I, you know, younger, it was like, yeah, this is a lifeline. Like, mom lets me make these by myself. Or toast. I have some independence, you know? Or toastable. See? Um, Microwave or toast. But looking say. at it now and, like, changing eating habits, uh-huh. it's like... That's just that's a box of sugar, right? Right. There. <laughs> so again, processed foods like that were never a thing for us. So uh, fortunately for me, I never had pop tarts, okay. and then I did have a pop tart, and I, I was like, "This isn't good. <laughs> this isn't good. This is weird." Did you have it raw? Or did you have it toasted? No, I toasted it. <laughs> okay, you did toast it because it is. That's what I call it. If you don't toast it, it's, it's raw, raw, man. Uh, it doesn't. That's, I mean, that's my preferred way. Yeah. Toasted? No. Or you like them raw? Yes. Oh, God. See? We called it cold, but... You know. That's fair. Cold. Well, and it's funny. I have some friends who would put them in the freezer and would eat them from out of the freezer. Frozen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Frozen Pop-Tarts. Demons. Which is... Yeah, huh? Demons. Which is an interesting way to have them. Because you have to bite into that. Yes. Demons. Do. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yep. What I will say though, since since moving to the Midwest, um, the breakfast that I find myself more in tune with now has been biscuits and gravy. Um, it's one of those things that I. It's just a, it's like the thing that I I know it's a lot of carbs, biscuits, you know, but the gravy, especially if it's a sausage gravy. I enjoy it. It really seems to be a warming, hearty food. That's so gravy. I have not gotten into gravy. Is supposed to be brown. Yeah, yeah. If it's, if it's yeah. white, I. It's it is such a weird thing that I have with food. Where I normally am omnivorous to a point where it's just like I'll eat anything. Yeah, but more than taste. The visual aspect of food <laughs> picks me off. Okay. Like every gravy I've seen in my entire life growing up in Jamaica has been brown. And then I come here and somebody <laughs> serves me white gravy. I'm like, what is this? What is this? It's not gravy. It's ice cream. And it tastes like it's supposed to, yeah. but it doesn't look at the part. So yeah. then my brain just cannot if, get over it. Yeah. Can I? Well, I did order B and G this morning. So. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, you're good. Like I said, it tastes great. It's just visually, it doesn't match what I'm wanting to taste. So, right, doesn't look like. Interesting. And I think I'm a normal person most of the time. So that's crazy. I might actually have something. Now I have like this cheese. The fact that the the visual aspect of food ticks me off. I might be on a spectrum somewhere. I, <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, that that was my life. I yeah. did eight years in special education in public schools, and I went to school for it. And I think at at some point we all have to say that we are on like an autism spectrum just because there are like certain particularities of things like not to right. an OCD thing where, yeah. but like this is you know just that that urge like I can't let this sit there I gotta yeah. like that is an autistic or, or you just have like a, a, a visceral reaction to a pretty mundane normal thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> Like the great, like yeah, like your visual not matching. It's like I can't have this. Yeah. Like it doesn't. Yeah. This is not what's in my head, and I can't do it. I just want to express this whole time. I thought you had just destroyed the entire cup, and you did. I did. For your, my but I thought there was. I was like, oh no, there's mine right here. <laughs> it's like, damn, dude, I didn't know you had that. I love cream that much. Listen, you did pay lots of cream. You did. You did. Yeah, I you warned did. him. <laughs> 
So yeah, my grandma used to make coffee for us. Yeah. So as kids, they're just feeding us coffee. Jamaica is a wild place. It's, yeah, I imagine. Like you say, a little independence to make some pop tarts in a microwave. Yeah. I was 11 years old, cooking over like an open flame for the entire household. You know, it's like you get shoved into it really early because it's. I guess they try to teach you survival skills because at the end of the day, everybody's always busy doing their own thing. So even if you're a child, like we don't have CPS. So like if you want to sit there as a dumb child and starve, then your parents probably just like, all right, good riddance. I'll go get another one. Obviously this one's faulty. So, <laughs> so yeah, you just kind of learn to just survive pretty much so I wanted to ask about that because we had watched that documentary they did in regards to Bob Marley and a lot of like his his efforts in you know in the community in Jamaica and a lot of what had gone on this is the first time I heard about the gang violence and things that were happening in that country at the time yes and that was the 70s right so it, uh, it, no it how, carried over it how much of it would you say in your upbringing in that was was tangible? I mean, I imagine to some capacity it was it was obvious that there there was some turmoil. Oh yeah. How long did it last? Was it still consistent? Come on, scramble. Yes, please. Thank you. I'll take that. Yeah, perfect. Uh, the sourdough? Yep. Yep, that's fine. Nice. Thank you. 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 Thank I am not the biggest fan of gravy, but I will give it a taste because I have been obviously. Thank you. I hate sending stuff back. No, that's like, fair. No, I, that's yeah, fair. I can respect but that. It's I'm just like, I'll give it a try because this isn't white. Yeah, it's not white. It's not white. It's it's tan. I'll give it like olive. It's moving in the right direction here. <laughs> I want to know to what extent you were aware of and at what age maybe you were aware of the, the turmoils that existed and and how your families how your family and also your community at the time found themselves navigating it and, and what that was like, man. Okay. So for me, as I would imagine for pretty much any kid growing up in Jamaica, at the time, it was, it was like, you knew what was happening as soon as you could understand anything. Because it was so baked into your daily life and society. Like, for example, we don't have uh, a lot of um, cable or TV entertainment. We had two local stations that ran the news 24 mm 7 -hmm. and some other you know like political ads and stuff like that so it was always in your face you'd be sitting there trying to watch a cartoon because they came on for like two hours on saturday and in that in that time <clears throat> you're just like please god please god do not let them interrupt my cartoon to tell me uh there's a state of emergency happening somewhere and mm. just like lockwork 
Yeah. So, yeah, as soon as you had any real understanding of the world, you figured, hey, yeah, shit's a little bit wonky, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're good. You're good. <laughs> and a lot of it was because of the politics. Mm. So, I don't, I didn't see that documentary, but I would imagine they would have gone into the, about the people, what, yeah, what happened, what caused it, yeah. So, when Jamaica gained independence in 1962 from the British, <clears throat> they had already set up a, a, a sort of like apartheid class system by default because that's what you know colonial powers do and one like upper class educated lawyer came out of like the uh, Alexander Bustamante he was like okay I have a new nation with mostly illiterate people mm. so in the land of the blind I can be king so he took advantage of that and started rallying the troops so to speak and got people hey you want this you want that I can make it happen for you and he started the um, the People's National Party mm. and on the other hand on the other side there was this uh, other guy same caste system, upper class, he started the Jamaican Labour Party in opposition to that one. Mind you, they were both laying out good plans for development. But, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So as soon as the first elections were held and this guy, Bustamante, won, he was like, all right, let's get to work. He turned the island overnight into a gaping political chasm, just one huge divide. The colors green and orange became like on site. <laughs> just on site. So the Jamaica Labour Party were green. Yeah. And the People's National Party were orange. And just like here with, with the Bloods and Crips and stuff, and you, you walk in the wrong neighborhood in the wrong color, you just get built with, but not for like gang reasons, for politics. politics. Interesting. So that's where Jamaica's gang violence came about, through politics. Right. So now, after he had won, he set up this uh, like Section 880 housing, like mm -hmm. low income yep. thing, uh, that was named Tivoli Gardens. So Heavenly Gardens? Tivoli. Tivoli. Yeah, yeah from, from, from Tivoli in, uh, in the UK. Okay. Yeah. And that is where all of Jamaica's problems started. Okay. Because that entire housing section eventually got taken over. Tivoli Gardens. Garden. Yep. Garden. So, this guy, Jim Brown, he took over. That's the name that was familiar, Jim Brown. Right. He 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 had this reputation of being like a, a just like a community guy. Like, oh, something happened. You anybody could be, moms could go to him and be like, my son's not wanting to go to school. You know, go scare him a little bit, and he just go over here and. Oh no! Oh, the cheek. There you go. <laughs> had a little. Yeah. Because I gotta save him for that. <laughs> Thank you, man. <laughs>
you know, and eventually that matured into him being uh, Don, mm. you know, and he lived in this uh, section, this complex, and over time it became fortified. Like all the people around him, all the guys around him, his loyal followers, he, you know, would give him weapons, guns, and stuff, and and you know, give him jobs, and so he became the de facto actual prime minister of the island. Like you had the legitimate government over here doing their thing and he's over here and they had a mutual agreement where it was just like, hey, we understand that you can handle crime and violence and keep peace way better than we can because you're in the feet, you're in the community. So we'll just let you do that and we'll give you resources and we'll just build up banks and commercial sectors over here and yeah. get the island popping. <laughs> but eventually, like all all bad things, it, you know, it, it, it just went sour because that relationship started to deteriorate when um, different gangs started forming. Different gangs started forming and then the government was like, hey, we should deal with this. And he was like, oh, no, you can't be running in and out of my place like this because that uh, kind of dampens my power in, 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 in the eyes of the community members. Right. So they just, their relationship got solid. And now Jim Brown had a son, Dodos Coke. Now, Coke was the epitome of just, like, mafia. Like, everything about this man just it, it was it was wild yeah. he ran the entire island like a huge drugs for gun hub and yeah. he did so through the government as in guns are illegal in Jamaica for the normal populace to own but I growing up in the countryside not even in the cities I've seen more guns than I care to, you know, talk about. And I'm just like, how is this stuff illegal, but yet it is here in mass? And you find out that these politicians are the ones sponsoring this stuff because they take all these uh, state revenues and they some Don comes and is like, I need $2 million for a community project. And they're like, okay, here. That community project just so happens to be a shipment of guns coming from Haiti, you know, and it's <laughs> and what they would do after they got it off, then that's where the weed came in, because you know Jamaica. Was that always a part of Jamaica's culture? Oh yes, okay. and 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 in a pure way too. No, I believe in right, a right, very right. pure way right. because. The, the gangs took weed as a, a, a sort of barter currency for guns and stuff. So they just like ship a whole bunch of weed down to you know whichever country, and then in return they just send them some guns, and then they use those guns to commit a crime on the island, and then you know that's how they got money. But as far as weed is concerned, though, it started out purely as a religious rite by the Rastafarian community. So, <laughs> but the Rastafarian community have been at odds with the secular government on the island since inception because they believe in a limited form of government and and having certain inalienable rights. Mm -hmm. And this led to the Coral Gardens massacre. 
where uh, like all these Rastafarians were rounded up by the police one day in a mass uh, thing uh, operation across the entire island and they were like forced to cut their hair and a lot of them were like murdered because they refused and there's this huge like mass grave site that they just dumped all the bodies and build the mound so there's like a thing commemorating that atrocity on the island right now so from that day on Rastafarians are just like we don't trust anything government yeah so I I guess we had our own little Uyghur massacre yeah yeah damn and I was always curious about that too because you know when it comes to when it comes to weed and things that people think of Unfortunately, there is the ignorance of understanding. So a lot of people, you know, Midwest, West Coast, East Coast, whatever, the ones who are conservative to the point where they don't know what they don't know. And then when they're brought information, that's what defines what their belief is about the thing. Right. And so to come into a place and know that, you know, Rastafari was, was a was a foundation that was based off of communalism and, and just peace and love, like genuinely. And we just happen to be a part of, like, like frankincense and myrrh, or you know, any type of incense that was a thing. Just you know, you consume it in that smoking way, but it's it's, it's a it's a sacrament mm-hmm. more than it is the uh, trying, yes, yeah. It's more of it's a part of the thing. And more specifically to the Rastafarian community, if if conservative people gave it a listening ear in in their doctrine in the Rastafarian doctrine it was said that the first weed the first weed plant was found growing over what was suspected to be the the cracks of the tomb of uh, King Solomon the Great so that is what the connotation of the plant is it opens your mind it's because so you're like why was uh, Solomon wise he was smoking my guns man (laughs) and they tell you that and, and you're like that makes sense that's amazing about doctor and things because like you know you tell that to the Lutheran or Catholic people around here it doesn't match and that's doesn't match their doctrine and then yep. because it doesn't match it's wrong mm-hmm. well, and I think it's less that it doesn't match and more again it's the lack of information and willingness to see like I say I have a religious belief doctrine, right? Yep. And I have this belief, and this is how I identify it. If I'm not taking a look at other religious doctrines and seeing the correlation, like, how is it that they connect to us? Then I am only looking at them as, well, that's the enemy because they don't believe in what I believe in. When it's almost more true that every religion in some capacity has these unique qualities and essences about them, but they all stand for the same thing. It just sucks that my struggle with it is that the war on drugs put weed on a platform in which it didn't belong. No, not, and, not at 
all. And that was the struggle that I think we find ourselves in in the U.S. now, is it's like we have this concept of things about something that has a background that goes farther back than, you know, the drugs and the wars and the gangs perspective. Yep. And it had nothing to do with them. But somehow, because it was attached to people who were against the government politics and all that stuff, it was demonized yep. to make them look like they were bad when that wasn't the case. And it's like, <laughs> it's strange how these things connect in that way if it doesn't, you know, work with the people that are wanting to take more control or does, you know, it's just, there's the tolerance that we don't have in that. But I put it this way, people don't like anything that challenges their worldview. <laughs> To the point where they will not even like invest the minimal amount of energy needed to listen to something and see if it makes sense. <laughs> you know, and like like we'll always end up going round and round in this stupid carousel where. We live on this earth, we do the same dumb things over and over again, and it's it just wild. <laughs> so, how old were you when you moved here? When you first moved to the United States? Okay, so moving, um, living here permanently, mm -hmm. I started living here permanently in 2018. No shit. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> I've been. I thought it was, thought it was back, further back than that. No, wow. I, I started. I, my first time leaving uh, Jamaica, leaving the island, was 2015, which I I was in uh, university at the time back home, so we have this eight-month eight month, uh, gap in the summertime for breaks, so we, everybody is looking for stuff to do. Normally, you go do an internship in whatever sector you're you know wanting to work in. But I thought, hmm, I've been to every possible square inch of this tiny island. I want to see something else. So I applied for a summer work and study program, and I got accepted, and I was like, all right, let's go. So I was doing my final exams in April. And uh, like the beginning of May, I was stepping off a plane in Anchorage, Alaska. I was like, oh, wow. this is dope. I mean, granted, no, I'm acting cool now, but at the time, I was terrified. Man, those double doors at the airport. Mm -hmm. So, again, I got on a, on a plane in Montego Bay. It's like freaking 90 degrees out. Nice, cool, awesome weather. And I'm like, hell yes. <laughs> we land in an airport in uh, Miami. Didn't go outside. I had like a 45-minute layover. Just ran inside, so I'm like... I don't even know what the outside looks like. Uh, a few hours later, I'm in Seattle. Same thing happens. And a few hours after that, I'm in Anchorage. Now, we get there and we uh, call a cab. Because I was traveling with uh, two friends okay. from uh, university that we decided to do the same thing. I walk up to those double doors. I'm like, why is there two doors? This is such a waste. I'm like, is this what America is? What is this waste? I'm like, whatever. Walk up to the first double door. It opens. I walk, pull my luggage and closes behind me. When that 
exterior door open <laughs> to the outside. To the outside. Yeah. And it was like a, a gush of just wind, and immediately I will all. I, I have no problem admitting to this. I absolutely pissed myself a little. <laughs> I've never felt cold in the environment like that. Yeah, yeah. and I was like instantly. I felt my clothes was like wet. Is how like cold it was. Cold sweat. Yes, and I just turned around and hauled my ass back into your room. I opened my luggage and I put on every single piece of like thick clothing I could find in there. So like I'm hauling around the suitcase like featherweight. Because I took it, I put everything on. Everything's on. I just happened to say that this is so, you know, Cool Runnings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite movies because of just the concept of taking somebody and people from a place, mm -hmm. notes, you know, where this is their culture, their life, and then putting them in a place that is completely opposite yep. in weather. And then just seeing that experience, it's like, Zeiss, just call them. And the, the, my favorite part was when they were coming from the airport, walking down, and you got dude walking through, and then they get to the door, and he walks through the door, like it's nothing, walking through the door, and then it pans back, and they're sitting there at the front door like, no. <laughs> That's the best part. I wish I had my own personal videographer at the time because that is exactly what me and my two friends look like it's like we made a mistake did nobody like warn you like hey like invest in a coat of course not well that's dumb <laughs> man but no we got a cab headed to her hotel because we were going to stay in Anchorage for like five days before we went into the interior yeah, because we were going off grid. We we're going into the wilderness. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yep, the first trip we, the first thing I did when I got to America was Google where do I find coats, <laughs> and we end up at a wall. I bought, I bought this Swiss Tech jacket that I still own right now and I still wear for $9. I was so amazed because Jamaica doesn't have a production sector. So everything that you like, superficial things you buy that are not necessities are very expensive. Like, you know, uh, like specialized clothing, like jackets or whatever. So I was like, I paid $9 for this. This is dope. I'm like, I'm gonna buy five of them when I'm going home. So all my siblings can have them. You know, type of thing. <clears throat> yep, but then we survived the first five days. Nice. Ooh, weirdest thing I saw. Yeah. So it is that cold. I just explained to you how cold it was for me. Mm -hmm. And about two days into our stay at the hotel in Anchorage, I say, all right, I'm going to give it a try again. So I just walked out onto the balcony, like minimal clothes. I'm like, I'm going to get used to this. I look down into an alley, and there's like five homeless guys standing around a big trash can on fire. And immediately I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, I have a lot of homeless people back home, but I never assumed they were homeless people in America. Yeah. And then I'm like, even worse, there are homeless people in America in this kind of climate. Yeah, in this weather. And I'm thinking these people might not actually be human. Like, what is this? How are you just, you just stay outside all day. Yeah, yeah. 
So here's two questions. One, the idea that you didn't think that there could be homeless people in America because of the perception of abundance that existed. Mm -hmm. And then living here for long enough now, I've realized America is this big old big titty bimbo in the best makeup. She looks good. And she, yeah, she'll have good conversations, but at the end of the day, the lights go off and the makeup comes off. It's just all the same. Yeah. Second question. What was it like coming from what, your experience to Walmart for the first time? What was that like? Because I can only imagine. I've heard stories and seen other people from nothing, you know, so what was that like? Like Okay. So the mere fact that this building was the size it was mm. blew my mind. Because I'm like, don't get me wrong, we have big buildings back home, sure. you know, but they're reserved for like uh, pro production type things, you know, they're factories or they're big old conference centers or whatever. But just a store for me to go buy clothes. And then I walk into the Walmart and I realize everything I could possibly need is right here. Like I don't have to go anywhere else. That was incredible. Yeah, that, that part of it was great. And this this Walmart even had a freaking McDonald's in it too. <laughs> not a subway. Not a subway. A freaking McDonald's. I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. Because when Jamaicans go out shopping, it's we know we've got to head up at least ten different places. Because you go here for clothes, you go here for food, you go here for shoes, and then you go over here for lunch. Everything's a specialty in a sense. Yeah, you have to go to the space that makes that, that provides thing. that thing, and that's the only thing that they have there. Mm. So yeah, the the incorporation of everything in one spot. Genius. Yeah, thank you, dear. Thank you. I will give it to you, America. That that is a genius idea. <laughs> Everything all at one place. All the stores together is <laughs> yeah. a good idea. It's just, I'm reflecting on how, like, I want to say abundant, and that is not the word, but, like, how excessive we are, if that's yeah. the case. Like, mm -hmm. because, like, Walmarts and Targets, like, there's fucking everything. <laughs> and we've normalized that for ourselves. So to hear it from a different perspective, it's like, a piece of shit. Like, we don't need this much. Even worse. So when I got to McKinley, Right, so we here we are. I get on a bus ride for four hours into the middle of the Alaskan wilderness. <laughs> like, I'm driving in this bus for four and a half hours, and I'm thinking to myself, Oh my god, it's so beautiful, just captivating. And I'm thinking to myself, Holy shit. They said on the, the tour guide, the tour guide said if you continue driving for another six hours, then you'd get to Fairbanks. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? I, can't, I couldn't even fathom that because my entire island is like three and a half hours end to end. So I was like, when do we run out of places to drive? This is crazy. Where's the road in? Yeah. Nope, it still goes. And like, I've been disillusioned of that fact a long time ago because uh, I've worked, it, when I was living in Tennessee, I worked as a delivery driver 
and it like from California all the way out to New York, and I'm like on the road for an entire week, and I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, I've been driving at speeds for an entire week, and I haven't gotten to the end of this shit. Like, and then every state here for me is like its own tiny country based on like culture and what it has to offer so sure. that is very exciting that is an interesting thing yeah I'm not even missing that stick yeah right <laughs> also when it said steak, mm. I kind of envisioned like the natural steak. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not a big fan of the breaded stuff. Yeah. yeah. It is something to be said that a building like that exists with all of the amenities that are offered within it. And then to look and see that there are three of those in our town. Yeah. Four. Yeah. Four now? There's four of those. And then, and then, right, plus our, and then on top of that, there is multiple of them in multiple cities. In multiple cities. And you're just like... And you're like, why are people, like, why are people starving? Like, yeah. You know? Tis the question. But, again, these types of reflections don't seem to be occurring because there are few people who come from or have an opportunity to know what it's like to not have right and to be without like I, I had to go through that with my mother where it was just us in a car as and I was a child and I remember what that was like and it does have a way of showing you the things to which one needs to be appreciative of because you don't have it but it's like you know you don't know what you don't know yes Mm-hmm. Which is fair. And you don't fair. know what you're not and, attentive to. And right. that is why, from an outsider's perspective, I like anyone I meet and I have a good conversation with, and they seem like they want to learn more stuff and do more things. I'm like, your best bet is to travel, go somewhere else, get outside of your element, learn to you know see how other people see the world. Because the world, as we know it, is divided into literally two thoughts, two schools of thought, the American version and the rest of the world. (laughs) And, like, uh, because of the economic strength and the cultural influence that America has, it has lulled people here into a sense of false security that their position is the only position. You know, it's it's like finished reading 1984, which is like this classic dystopian novel. Yeah, I've heard of it. I've never actually read the thing, but I've watched enough movies that reference it. So (laughs) I know. Yep, Yep. and uh, just this this idea that like people are like, yeah, everything's great, and then people who are in the know that like make it perceived great or like outside of it are like, no, this isn't quite trashy. 
There's the micro and the macro viewpoints on anything. And the American government, through corporations, has perfected making it so people only see things through the micro lens. Like, like, for example, let's say war is happening in Ukraine right now. No, well, not, let's not say it is actually happening. Yeah, it is going. Right. Yep. <laughs> the the American public will never be invested in that at any point unless it threatens something here directly. So, in order to get everybody here on board, that hey, they're killing some people over there, and that's not great. Just because you're insulated on your own part of the world doesn't mean you don't have to care about what's happening over there. Right. The politicians come out and they say shit like, uh, this will rise gas prices by two dollars. All of a sudden, every America is like, every American's like, you know, Ukrainian flag. <laughs> this is a thing that directly affects people here. So they think, but in the grand scheme of things, if, if you were able to look at it from the macro perspective, you'd realize it was affecting you. It has been affecting you from day one. Mm-hmm. And There's no way not it o- can't affect Right. And not only in the price of fuel, like in Everywhere else. every possible yep. way. Mm-hmm. But like with that instance, like depending on the person, but I think the general public was like, okay, oh, hey, these guys are at war. And we're like, okay, cool. What's next? Like people haven't been paying attention to like those nitty gritty details of like the U.S. giving money to Ukraine. I also feel like we've been highly desensitized to war as of late. It seems as if war is now a common occurrence to such a degree where we hear about it and we're like, eh, we'll be all right. Yeah, exactly. The insulated yes idea of like, as long as you're here, you're fine. And we'll just send the good old boys over where it's happening and we'll deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> like, of course you'd never want something like this to happen to anyone, anywhere. But I have to say, if actual like conflict reaches the U.S. shores, people here will panic and honestly, Americans would just destroy themselves. Because, okay. because, like, not saying this this country in its past haven't you know experienced hardship because every country has like you're starting something new like you have to figure it out. But we, you know, Americans have gotten to the point where the hardships are no longer talked about. They're no longer um, shown how to be avoided. You know, it's like people are doing things, especially in politics today, at the top level that were the same things done in the past that caused a whole lot of stuff. But they're just doing it not knowing the risk involved because they figure, well, we've got all this economic power and all this cultural relevance, so we'll be okay. Oh, I know. Literally the definition of not learning from your past. Yeah. And it's it's true in the sense because it's... So the funny parts that I relate to... I relate uh, the way a person drives their shopping cart mm-hmm. to the same way a person drives in real life. And I feel like we've talked about this one, right? It's very, 
it's very uniquely tied together because the attentiveness a person has when they're driving is very similar. Mm -hmm. Behind the car, you kind of feel insulated mm -hmm. in that way, and you so you see people coming to intersections, and you see people like no care, they just yeah, blow through it, and it's you know so weirdly that we see some of the ways that people become tribalistic when storms come, when some events and crises happen very, you know, in pockets, but you see the reactions that we have. And so it wouldn't be hard to see how quickly the, the tribalism and then those people who would then take and assume power in those moments to rally the troops or, or control the masses in that way. As we've seen continually time and time again where it would, it would be surprising to see that if that happened, you'd have good people trying to help maintain because, you know, I'm from former military so for me I would do my best to maintain some composure to help people out of the situation because that's just how I first responded. But you have Did you the, need water at all? Yes, please. You have the you have the weird effect of people who also tend to jump into the wrong end and you know, manipulative end yes. and people who see the weakness as opportunists exist everywhere. And it, and it's like how do we how do we find ourselves out of that? Can can we help ourselves away from those people who we know are then trying to take advantage of that situation for their benefit, not for the benefit of people, but for their own kind of, you know, seek for that power in that field. Like, is yeah. it possible? Because I look at other cultures, and again, like, I go back to that documentary where we were looking. Bob Marley was that beacon of light in some capacity, and even he had to say, I had to walk away from that, because I couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that was saddening, because I'm like, this dude had such presence and poise and and, and and I would say power in a sense through his music but and, even and, and, and actual real life too because yes. there, there, there's the entire um, well not the you, you have the it's like with, with most religions you have the secular side of the religion and then the more extreme sides well all the secular like people in the Rastafari community were like 100% behind you know like propping up his every you know aspirations and whatnot and even some through violence like let it not be said but sure Bob's message was peace and unity but a lot of horrible things were done to that you know and in his name not yeah. specifically by him no but I right so it's the we have the leader, but from proxy, you have people who, in their own interpretation, right. present their feelings and, yep. and do their own bidding underneath the guise of this, yep. like most doctors. Mm -hmm. and, and, um, and that is, and again, it's like because we know we've seen, because we know we've seen it, we know that it's going to be a thing should it ever come to the shores of America. You yep. watch the fragmentation and the fracturing of the society. Man, I, as soon as it happens, the first thing is Texas is building a wall around itself <laughs> and saying, and saying, we got all the guns, we got all the oil, we are okay. Y'all can, right? No, like it, it won't take a lot for an outside power with the right like espionage skills to destabilize what what's going on. I know that. 
I know that there are people in America who want the best for everyone. And I know that, you know, for what it's worth, we've gone through a lot of struggle and turmoil, you know, within the past 50 years, 60 years even, to, to confront and have at least an honest look at what it looks like when we do not work cooperatively. Yeah. You know, they were talking about the L.A. riots and they were talking about the Korean uh, community that was doing everything they could to defend their own businesses right. on the strips that were being, you know, raided and, and wrecked and, you know, just taken advantage of by the people in the community because they were mad, right? And and you just you kind of see how these respects came. So it's like it's not the same. The people don't have a disrespect for the Korean community anymore because they stood up for themselves. Yeah. So you know, I will say America does value uh, strength. Yeah. You know, in in both, yeah. in both physically and in both in character. Mm. I, I and because I, I guess overall the country has adopted the position that. In order to keep the schoolyard free of violence, we have to be the biggest bully. Mm. So, okay, yep, yep. Like America, I'm okay. Thank you, thank you. Like America as a nation has destabilized more countries than I care to admit. You know, <laughs> then one would feel comfortable admitting. Right. <laughs> like, yikes, man! But then it um, you think. Oh, this is a bad thing on the surface, but in the grand scheme of things, from the macro view, uh, a lot of these things, had they not like put a stop to it or, or got involved, would have become a bigger problem in the future. And it's hard to settle a person on that point because you can't show a person a what if, you know. <laughs> so it becomes a little bit hard to settle that point, but. Mm. I've, I've seen it firsthand and it kind of makes sense yeah mm. and it's fair it's, it, it's it, what is it the um, you as they say talk softly carry a big, carry a big stick mm-hmm. and in the sense of you know you have you, we have a culture at which we want to express freedom as the foundation and there are unfortunately cultures outside of our own identity that do not believe the same right. and we've seen what that looks like and so it, it does in some degree it makes sense that you have to be the one who is the biggest person in the yard mm-hmm. because then it's like well okay look this is what I stand for I'm not going to have you telling other people that you're going to control their lives and this right. and that even though in this capacity we do that in some way do, how, how do you feel about um, that aspect of it we're the, it's almost it is it is positioned as hey human rights are a thing and nobody should live without them right and we all just agree but do we all agree when those human rights that we think should be in place for everyone goes against the wishes of an entire country, community, religion. Like, Mm -hmm. at what point is my um, human rights in conflict with my autonomy? Is there a list of what, like, human rights are? You know, is there a general agreed-upon... Yes, uh, by the United Nations, I, I, yes, for sure there is, like, a 
you know, like yeah. um, freedom to you know go about your business, mm-hmm. to freedom to press, freedom of. I mean, if, if there's something there, that's cool. because right. that could be like a vague thing. Yeah, no, and, and anybody could make it. What yeah, they want, and it, it's so. just at the end of the day, it, it's just more like you have the right to an opportunity like anybody else. Mm-hmm. So that could be just the base of it. Like, yeah. I shouldn't be precluded from doing a thing because of where I'm from, what I look like, what I sound like, right. you know, like things like that. Okay. But at what point do you start infringing on an entire, like, culture or religion and how those people choose to live their lives? Because, say, for example, women's rights. <laughs> this huge yep. thing happening in Iran right now. Yep. Everybody in the West, in America, is like, you know, getting, behind, rallying behind the troops, like, free these women, let them be, let them do. And you think to yourself, okay, these people have lived this way for thousands of years. Thousands. A lot longer than the United States. Right? So, sure, on the surface, for our purposes, it's like you telling a woman she can't be seen a certain way outside or drive a car, like, that's asinine. But then they've been doing this thing and it's embedded in their culture. So at what point do you think the people that are making a fuss about it now are just like plants? Because this is America. All all those people protesting in the streets could be CIA operatives. Right. Right. (laughs) And that's so weird to think about. Because you, you see these women fighting and struggling for their own rights and you want to you know get behind them because naturally that makes sense for you but then you're like okay what if I'm being unknowingly a part of a scheme to destabilize an entire region all because just because of my altruism and not understanding the culture see yeah. here's where I this is this is why I feel like we we have the potential to be a beacon but we miss it by by not appreciating the fact that immigration is how America started right so if immigration is how America started we have to accept that there are going to be cultures that move here that come from a completely different walk of life than right. what we see because this is what they know and that was their life, right? But then the moment they move here, it you're in a new place, so you almost immediately psychologically come back to the thing that you know. Right. So that's why you have cultures that come here and still keep their their culture because that's their identity in a way. Yes, slowly. Well, that was like the selling point, like when when like Ellis Island was a thing, yes. like mm-hmm. the whole idea of a melting pot. Like yes. you can bring whatever you have. With you. Yes. The struggle is, is that we forget that the first generation that moves here is going to hold on to what it is because mm-hmm. it's familiar. But then the generations yes. after are the ones that are going to then meld that culture right. into yes. the American. And, and and as as it stands right now, the American population would have it. So as soon as a person sets foot on this soil, assimilate immediately. Yes. And in some aspects of, let's say, in the in the more um, formal legal ways, definitely. For example, walking around on the streets back home and drinking from an open container, not an issue. Like I, I've been pulled over with an open uh, Heineken in my like driver door pocket, and and while the cop is like telling me why he pulled me over, I'm sipping it. And then at the end of the day, the interaction was like, okay. Uh, 
uh, your light was out, so you know, get that fixed. Also, can I get a drink? <laughs> and then I had to just fork up some cash and you know, buy him a drink too, and then just yeah. on my merry way. But then I move here and I hear, oh, you can't do that, you cannot, that's against the immediately. I just stop. So I'll assimilate in that sense, but. Over my dead body, will I like lose certain aspects of my culture to please you when it is not in direct conflict with right. anything? Yeah. Right. You, what what you stand for does not harm or hurt another person. Right. It's your us. Uh, it's your sovereign right to express and and do that exactly. Versus the idea that you know we have the right to impose. And so I'm glad this goes back. That we have we feel we have the right to impose on other people's beliefs in other countries based off of the beliefs we have here. Right. Even mm. though these things have been going on where they are now. Where I stand is if there are people who see our culture living in another country who feel like like, this is what they want to live by. This is their, what they're, right? By all means, we need to find a way to be able to have that door open so right. that these people can come here and be able to express that sovereignty in this place where they are no longer with the sense of oppression. Right? It's a win-win for, for everybody. Right. Because in that, right. Because in that, say, they're getting rid of a person who doesn't want to stand and believe in what they stand for. And so you're like, gaining somebody that wants to be a part of what you got going. Right. Well... The irony of this. It's like the best trade. Well, yes. Um, the U.S. though is limiting their intake of people. And right. I heard this. And that's what I mean. Is it's we are we are living in a in a how can we say we are again land of the brave home of the land of the brave home of the free when we don't fight for the freedoms of other people at least holding space for those freedoms in all capacities culturally and belief but we're also not like standing up for or what was it was not the freedom we're not providing the freedom we're not sharing the freedom that we that we say is here and we're not standing up for and the rights of other people who move here for them to freely express themselves how they wish without the judgment that comes with my own belief on another person. And it, you know, the struggle that exists in that is that it's the struggle of acceptance. I don't have the social experience or the social uh, capacity to be able to live and accept in other expressions of people because all I have lived in is this you know this perspective my entire life so I don't know any better and then my experience hasn't taught me how to be tolerant of and so I am looking at it in fear I'm not like I don't hate it but I, I'm just I don't know I, I don't know who is it I don't know how to express what I'm seeing because I can't believe myself being that which is where my yes. direct judgment comes from. Yep. It's not yep. that I don't tolerate it, it's that I can't see myself Again, doing it. Why would you challenge your own worldview? <laughs> yeah, right. that, that's right. going to mean you have to do actual work on yourself and grow, and that's just too much work. Mm, yeah. And those people that you were talking about earlier that are living in outside of America, that have more um, American ideals, yeah. but like they exist. I'm one of those people. Yeah. Like at the point, um, at the time in Jamaica that I grew up in, yeah. uh, rampant uh, homophobia, sexism, you know, classism, all of it. And 
I I just decided that this is not what I want to perpetuate into the world. Right. You know, whether right. for myself or offspring, if I have it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So from day one, I knew, hey, I love the culture, I love my island, I love my people. But at the end of the day, this is not it for me. You know. Um, so yeah, from a, a kid, I just knew I was not going to like exist in Jamaica my entire life because it, it, it's just it's small physically and mentally. <laughs> you know, so I, I definitely yeah we exist we are out here. Feel the same about the Midwest, and that's just because I I grew up here. I haven't I haven't ventured out of the Midwest until sourdough. Was that two years ago mm -hmm. when I went to Las Vegas for the first time? Oh yeah, yeah. So like I've been. <laughs> that was here. an awesome first trip. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we flew to Vegas and then we drove to California to see the ocean. So. Yeah. It's first time oh, seeing the ocean. Seen the ocean. No, <laughs> no, the furthest. I'm sorry. Okay, so outside of that, I was on a fuck you trip to my ex-husband, and I went to Atlanta. Um, so that was 2012, 13. Um, but yeah, being here, that that idea of like being able to recognize that. Yeah. Yeah. I could not fathom existing for all all my life you know my childhood up to my adulthood and mm -hmm. not ever seeing the ocean like yeah <laughs> yep I was uh, 30 yep. almost 30 not, yep. not quite 30 <laughs> Hey, good on you. And Make that's the, again, that's, yeah. you know, to, because I also, being raised in California, San Diego, and like, the beach was always a part of my life. And so to have met people who did not, and likewise, you coming from a place where you're surrounded by the ocean, like, what is, how, it's hard to understand a person not having experienced that. Yeah, I'm like, there's a, I think to myself, that sure. there must be an integral part of you as a person that is missing and you don't even know about it. Yeah, I... Especially since we, we did that in 2020. Yeah. And then... 2021 we did like three other trips and it was just like oh, holy shit like yeah. this is kind of amazing yeah <laughs> it is man like i said broaden that world view get you some experience with just dealing with other people and other cultures because mm -hmm. it is like experiencing life with my wife right now is it's been amazing because the tiny mundane things that she takes for granted. I absolutely like the fact that I'll be in the. I'll be in the and, 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 and say I'm in the bedroom. Our apartment's weird that it's like a little circle. Okay. You know you can walk right around the entire thing. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be uh, in the bedroom and she's trying to come uh, out to the living room and like she has a plate in her hand like she was eating something and I'm like, don't you fucking dare walk through the bathroom with the food. <laughs> You know, and, and then she's like, oh, "What? Why are you freaking out over this?" I'm, I'm not like I'm standing in here, or sitting in here eating it. I'm like, "But no, if you walk through, then you get bathroom here on the food." And she thinks that's ridiculous. And I will <laughs> never ever eat anything that has passed through the. the <laughs> and it's 
<laughs> no, I like that. He said bathroom. I mean, I get it. That's though. good though. That's it's, but that's the thing. That's yeah. the thing. And, 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 oh, okay. thing. Perspective. People here will randomly, um, especially if you're like, I've eaten how you say it. I just have to say it. <laughs> oh, I've eaten. I've had not. I didn't want to say it, but I have. I've had. I've had whole like meals no, on the toilet while I'm sitting there. So. <laughs> Because to me, it's like, it's not a, it's, it's, it's I don't, yeah, I don't see it, I don't see it the same way, right? Mm -hmm. But that's just because that's, yeah, like, it's Dude, just a tiny little thing, for example, like, you can't, back home, it's, we're not savages, we do understand how the human body works, and it makes sense to us, so, you know, we're not being childish about it, but if you... You will literally get into a fight with somebody if you like just randomly fart in the middle of any engagement. For Jamaicans, it's the only polite thing to do is to get up, and go outside. Wow. Yeah, and, wow. and I'll, I'll just be. I'm sitting at home, and she's like, "Oh, oh I got a big one." <laughs> I'm just like. If and I was you're not like, married yeah. to you, I would strangle the shit out of you right now. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, no, see? See? We don't think like that. Because it was when her and I first started really, like, you know, hanging out and spending a lot of time, it was always difficult for me to do that. Because that was something that was never acceptable. Oh, my mom would slap the See? <laughs> and I, my grandmother was the Hispanic. So it was like, I couldn't touch myself. I couldn't adjust. I couldn't do none of that stuff that would look inappropriate, especially in public. And farting, like, my mom can hardly even say the word fart. Yes! Right? And so I'm like, she's sitting here wanting me to like, that's okay. It's I'm like, how oh, much? And maybe we were just a weird house. I don't know, but like my brother would be like, I make yeah. and just yeah. like drop it and walk away. And I'm nope. just like, that's gross. You yeah. just pooped on me. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly it's not it's just you might as well have taken a dump on me. If you're gonna fart in my face that or in my good. direction, just keep it going. Yeah, and that's but but it's been a it's been a slow uh, it's been a slowly like acceptable kind of like comforting thing now where it's like I, I don't feel as uncomfortable doing it now, and it's it Have took a long time. That? Okay, it will always be an issue for me. Okay, I, I can realize that. You know, I'm very self-aware in that sense, but. I have started feeling a little bit more comfortable now. Yeah. She, like when she does it, I, I I don't get annoyed anymore. I just like ignore it. You know, like I'm not mad at it anymore, but I just ignore it. And then she said to me the other day, she goes, "Guess what happened?" And I'm like, "What?" She goes, "I heard you fuck." I was like, "No, you didn't. I'd never do that." What? And she goes. Yeah, you were sleeping. I'm like, oh, uh, damn, got <laughs> you. I'm like, well, does it even count? I'm mean, like, I can't. I have no control over that, so <laughs> you know, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, but that's, oh, that's it's, it's just it's just it's, so. This a lot of it, I think, is more about the comfort 
of a person and what they are what they are willing to accept for themselves because let so I, I use this example because this was a self-reflective opportunity for me and it was during the rain during the big snowstorm right? right the big snowstorm came through and the roads and the sidewalks were covered so people couldn't walk on the sidewalk and so I'm watching this guy walk on the street and my first reaction is what the hell is he doing why is he walking on the street right so immediate judgment and this dude doing something that where me, I was like, I'd have just walked on the sidewalk. Yeah. Even though I'm like trudging yeah, through right. snow, I'd have just been on the sidewalk because that's unsafe to me. Because I don't know and trust people when they're driving. Right? Same. Right? But he was doing it because it was comfortable for him. Yeah. So I had to confront the fact that my immediate thought was judgment on the guy based off of what I would do right. versus what he might have already felt comfortable doing. And then it was like, you know what, but hey, if this is what works for the guy, then I have to accept the fact that that's just, that's what he's doing. It's, he's probably been here but before. But there is some, there is some um, level of correctness that exists in your assessment of the situation because Fair. I've noticed Fairy that... Boy. The, the, peop, the people that are willing to inconvenience themselves for whether the safety of others or the just the keep it going of the world yeah. are far few and in between. Yeah. Yeah. I would walk on the sidewalk also because like you said, I'm not putting my life in somebody else's hands right now. Yeah. But also I think about it from hey, how about I not put somebody else in a situation especially people driving on the street and this, yeah. I'm like, it's snowing, it's probably slippery now. If I'm walking in the middle of the street and this person got a swerve to avoid me, they could hit somebody else or, you know, like, how You're about thinking I not? considerately of the people who are right. on the car. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and then I countered with, like, maybe that's not what the guy wants to do, but, like, maybe he's got a hole in his shoe. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah. snowing is Right, maybe he has like, high, high, high water jeans. Where he wants jeans to be and he didn't want to put in the socks. Yeah, I just, it's just more of, like... I make a lot of compromises in life, and not because like I'm a pushover. I enjoy doing it. You know, I just enjoy. I enjoy doing it. Like I'm laying on the couch with my wife, and like she falls asleep on me in a weird position. Like I'm cramped to high heavens, but she's sleeping and you know she's comfortable. So I will wait as long as I possibly can. But my whole leg is just like cut me off now, and then I'll be like, hey babe. You know, like, so when I tell you, uh, yeah, you need to get up now and go to bed, like, I, there's no guilt that I robbed you of a moment. Yeah. Like, I feel like I, I did my best. Whereas for her, it's, 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 it's more instant because of culture. It's like she was taught as a child to say what you want, say what you feel, and, and do, do not, um, feel bad about wanting something or being selfish. For me, complete opposite. Selfishness is not a, 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 a good trait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and not selfishness in a devious way, but selfishness in the fact that you're willing to express what you want out of the situation. For us, for Jamaicans, it's more of, hey, what do you want? You tell me what you want, and I'll see how far I can come to where I'm still satisfied and you're still So the compromising good. of one's own gratification yes. for the benefit. Yeah, and yeah. if you do it long enough, you evolve into this being that can like subsist 
on compromise. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it, it, it is a wonderful place to be because then you never get the there's no disappointment factor in your life anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like everything is oh, if that's what it is, that's what it is. Yeah. You don't sit and stress out over anything and like because if there's an issue. What can I do about it? Yeah. Nothing. Why worry about it? Can I do something about it? Well, don't worry. Do that. You know? So it just all flows in a nice circle. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I was telling her about that. And my struggle with compromising, and not I don't want to say struggle with compromising, almost my need to have to compromise because of who I was and the perceptions of other people about me. I had always felt like I had to navigate in the in regards to another person's potential concerns or conflict right you know so as just as a black male having to maneuver myself and and hold, Tell me hold about it. uh some because you know i i didn't want people to feel a kind of way because that was the perception i had of other people in regards to me so i always felt like i had to walk on eggshells and tiptoe around things and you know there was a level of that that came so I have this natural concern towards other people's well-being, mm-hmm. even if it's a perceived and non-existent Keep well-being. the status quo. Yes. We're sitting down here having breakfast, and if some guy decided, hey, you guys are annoying my breakfast, right? right. I'm the person right now to be like... Okay, let's figure the way down here. My bad, I apologize. Right. You know, we'll yeah. because the minute I get loud, I know the perception is oh, angry black man. Yeah, like right off the bat. So like, I try my best to avoid that. Yeah. And like growing up in in, in like poverty, quote unquote, does mold your character. Either you look at it and you become very singularly focused on not being that way anymore, so then you do whatever it takes and that's usually bad, or you just, you learn some soft skills. Yes. Like, growing up in a a, a, a one-bedroom apartment with seven people teaches you how to share a space. Yes. Teaches you Compromise. Like sleeping head to tail, foot to foot, whatever that you call it here, with four to five people in a single queen bed teaches you how to like yes exist. Yeah. Purely just exist. Like I've, I've never had my own space until I was twenty years old. Wow. Like to I went no when I I I listened to my friends here talk like oh yeah I'd get you know mad and just go to my room. Yeah. <laughs> you can't go to your room. My mom would whoop my ass and I'd just go sit in the corner of the room. Yeah. And all my siblings are sitting there having fun and I'm having to watch them do that. And then you know, it's like then you just realize, well, I can sit here and mope or I can weasel my way over here and then be a part of the group again. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. That, that's why you you don't build long term um, like disdain and hatred in a culture like that because everybody's constantly in your space, in your face. Yeah. So either you're gonna be that sad moping person in the group or you're just gonna just get over it and rejoin and I I feel like there's a lot to be said in that and 
the idea of putting yourself in a learning how to step outside of your comfort zone for the benefit of yourself and and just meaning the benefit of yourself and learning how to live in a way that is not like what you have experienced um, learning how to maybe not so much harden yourself but build the compassion and appreciation that other people may be struggling with right. you never experienced you know unless you get outside of your comfort zone you can't understand another person's plight or at least just have the decency of saying you know what hey I don't know what this person's going through but hopefully you know instead of looking at like ah, get the fuck up and do your job. like right. I don't know what this person's going through. No idea. <laughs> so I'm not going to sit there and make the assumption based off of my perception. And that's that's what I've noticed is, at least me, uh, as a as an individual who had to come through his own struggles in the way other people perceive, perceive me, it's, it really has helped me appreciate the, the subtleties of, of engagement because everybody has a different story. Everybody has a different perspective. And even people here, like, when I realized racism here isn't racism, it's prejudice. And it's prejudice not because people are intolerant. It's because people don't know any better. Because they've never had the experience. Most of them come from towns of 300 or less people. And that's all that they knew. So it's like if that's what you grew up in, I see why you struggle with cultures coming in. Because the only information you ever had was from the news and the news. And so you're sitting here like afraid. Because you don't know. You've never had to engage. and you. So it's new. The way you do that you become like when you look at stuff like that like you're saying yeah. you become the best version of yourself and you're you find that you're able to make friends with anybody yeah. because yeah. you're willing to let them exist yes. and yes. find out a way to integrate yourself in that existence yeah. as opposed to Oh, you don't like chocolate milk? I love it. Okay, we can't be friends. Right. It <laughs> doesn't mean we can't so, be at the same table. So, so when people go, oh, we're not, we'd never be friends. We have nothing in common. Yeah. I'm like, you are wild. Like, I have friends. I have friends uh, since I've moved here that whenever we meet up or we talk, it's always about a thing that I have no idea about. Yeah. You know, but yeah. I'm willing to engage with it because yeah. I want to learn. Yeah. yeah. I want to learn. <laughs> yeah. I want to know. I want to know what it is that makes that person who yeah. they are. Because that's who they are. It's, it's more um, prominent on the internet right now, but one of the biggest problems America has right now when it comes to, like, interpersonal relationships is this idea of the echo chamber. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And people think it's a new thing on the internet. No, it's been around. It's always been. Like you said, you grew up in a town of 300 people. You think the same. You walk the same. You talk the same. If those are the only people you interact with, then that's your echo chamber. The echo chamber. Yeah, it's the echo chamber. Right, so you'll never never learn (laughs) anything outside of that. That's, but that's when, and that's what I was describing to her when I said, because I came to that revelation. When I first moved to the Midwest, it was Sheldon, Iowa. And I'd never been in a place where 5,000 people was the population of the town. And then, even more so, there were 12 churches, 12 different churches for 5,000 people. I was like, why is there so many different types of churches? Like, do you, is there... 
12 different gods? What is this? I don't understand. But but then you see that it's just a perspective of the same thing, but it's the it, it's just because of what they have been comfortable with. It's all that they know. And so you had to have those for people coming in to just kind of have that. But when I started moving from different towns, so you'd have Sheldon, then you'd have Hartford, and, or, you know, Harley, and then you'd have these places. And you're like, wow, this town only has three hundred people. Archer only had five hundred people. And then you meet people who have lived there their entire yeah, life. Generations. And it's never lived. And it's no it, it was what what was surprising was the correlation from that to inner city, right? So the same struggles that people go through in the Midwest with having small populace and the belief system is the same struggle we struggled with in the hood with inner city communication. You had people who never left their block, ever, and their families never left that block. So it's it was like, that's the same shit we like, went through. Like the same thing. They're born in the city. The All they've seen uh, buildings <laughs> in concrete, yes. right? They have no appreciation for the world because they don't seen know. nature at its purest. They don't know. And so I was like, they are literally the exact same place. They literally, like, they are the exact same place. There's no difference except for the culture that exists within it. Right. So you have kids that grow up in gang violence and these things because that's what they know. That's the same thing. And you have people who grow up in religious uh, foundations in, in a city, and that's all they, they know because that's all that they've ever that's experienced. Great. And when you get these, you get no, these people. Yeah, you get these people in the same room, right? Yeah. And and and, and you go, hey. Mr. Gangster, what do you think you have in common with Mr. Uh, Midwest Farmer yeah. here? Nothing, nothing, yeah. man. Uh, no, I'll tell you, you two, have, you two have the same thought process on the world. Yes. You just express it differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now shake hands and be friends. Like right. it's, you know. It is right. right. And that's, so that's what I, that's my, that's what I would call my plight in this sense. Not plight in a negative way, but mm-hmm. in a sense, like, that's the efforts I find myself striving for is having this conversation shows the differences but also shows how many things we have in common with each other mm-hmm. but where is it that we struggle in making that connection is it a want to make the connection is less people just really willing to open up like that or is it like what is that what is the what is the thing that stops us from connecting with each other as people, and, and instead we just allow the differences to be what separates okay. us and, and makes that like ah, I don't want to go there. Yeah. I'd say the it's not for lack of wanting to connect with people, okay. because as as human beings we are primordially driven to find community and like for survival yeah the more people you know the more survivable life is yeah so that is not the issue i think we live in 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 a in a society now where how do i put this okay how do how does america choose its uh president you vote. vote. Yeah, vote. You, you vote and you think people vote because this guy has a plan that I think is great and we'll work with it. No. 
Americans choose their president based off charisma. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> no, that's yeah, yeah. You listen to the the, the news yeah. right before the polling and all yeah. those things, and they're like, "Well, oh, he was his popularity will drop by." What does popularity have to do with whether or not you are competent enough to run the world's huge, largest economy? Right. Right. I don't care if you have as much personality as Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> As long as you are doing what you need to do, so that's the same thing with like interpersonal relationships where people have attached their the concept of who they are as a person to an idea, an ideology that if they are to were supposed to if you attach your entire ideology as a person to I am a, a, a blue-eyed, blonde-haired Aryan male and I am at the peak of existence and Anybody that doesn't look like me is beneath me. Yeah. Why would you, you? There's no way yeah, for you to yeah. jump that gap and try to make friends with me yeah. because I am the opposite of everything that you stand for. Yep. Yep. So you know. So then you choose, but you still want to make friends. So what do you do? You find other people with blue Just eyes, like and like, yeah, yeah, and then you make friends with them. Yeah. So people are willing to make friends and want to make friends and connect with people, but because we live in the world where your ideology is your personality Almost it is your, your life definition defines you and it's in, yeah then it becomes an issue yeah. like my ideology in life just so happens to be hey take it easy everything's gonna be what it's gonna be you make the best of it yeah so for, when I adopt that position then it's easy for me to make friends with anybody because if I walk in here and a meth head wants to have a conversation let, okay let's talk about meth <laughs> you know yeah how did yeah what does it feel like when you do meth like I'm willing to have that conversation whereas somebody who says oh I'm Christian and I'm, you know, I'm conservative. Would be like, you're, you're a demon. I'm gonna pray for you, but yeah, I'm also gonna. Yeah, I'm also right. gonna. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, your prayers won't do anything to make this person a better human being if that's what you wanted. Like, how about you sit down and have a conversation? With right. right. Yeah. And I, I think that's the. If it's not brought to the forefront, if it's not introduced or presented in that way I think our struggles will, will persist in the way that they have and I think that that's the you know I, I'm only one person but what I've noticed is more people are having that kind, this kind of conversation oh, yeah. than ever in the sense of you know if these things are to get any better it's going to start with self work with self-reflection and being willing to step outside of this comfort that we have to understand and learn about other people and where they come from. Right. You know, there are there there are some people who just don't want to improve their life, who believe that the lot that they have been given is all that they can, are, are capable of accomplishing, which is unfortunate because if it's just the belief, right. then the belief can change the moment the person decides to make that change for themselves. Yeah. But there's no support in that, right? So we don't have the capacity to get these people out of the situation that they're in to show them the benefit of self-improvement and then 
show them how their thought process helps them get out of that. But then it's like, we also don't have a real, a, a big forum for integration with different cultures in our community. Well, it, it is growing, and the, the, one of the best things that has happened to, like, America, in my view, point, yeah. over, over the last few decades, yeah. is the rising popularity of liberalism. Mm. Yeah, that people in like not, not like far left or far anything far anything it's, obviously is yeah, just too much, yeah, too much. Yep. chill chill out <laughs> <laughs> if the, the the centrist ideals that are rising sure it's just mostly happening in happening in like really small dark corners of the internet right now but it is a school of thought that is molding the next generation and ultimately those are the people who really matter in the grand scheme of things yes you can't teach an old dog new tricks that's fine he'll he'll learn a new trick because he realizes if he wants if he wants right yeah. and that's usually the only right. determination yeah yeah so like all these uber like racist old people or just homophobic old people alright you existed in a time where that was cool yeah. I will not judge you for it yeah. but you need to understand that it's no longer cool so like keep it at bay yeah. go home and shout it in your shower yeah. but when you're out here on the street just leave it alone just leave it alone yeah. no same you and I appreciate your time. Um, thank you for taking this effort in diving in and sharing the part of your culture and your perspective. Um, it's never easy, and I think the more we continue to do it, the more the conversation grows and the more likely and open people are willing to communicate their struggles. Because I am aware that there will always be people different than me. But I thrive in learning what makes us different because that means I get to learn who that person is and what makes that person them, regardless if they agree with me. Because that's not what I'm here for. I don't care if they don't agree with me. I care if we are missing the connection and the possibility to find middle ground. Because if we don't find middle ground, how do we grow? Um, and so I, I appreciate you as much as I know you are also in that same effort. And we've talked multiple times about this. So I, I'm grateful to finally have you on and be able to really have this conversation and dive in more. And I look forward to having other conversations oh, yeah. with you about I, other things. Because, yeah, we've spoken. And I'm, I'm, we've spoken. I was excited to be here this morning for this. Like, this is the most, like, thought I've put into any Saturday activity in, like, years. Yeah. It's like, normally Saturdays for me is like, if I don't work, I'm just at home sitting, chilling. I'm like, nope, getting up doing this stuff you know you, it's gonna be great and it was um, so yeah equally I appreciate you inviting me on and having me here and I hope we get to do this again and a lot more and get in you know more in depth into some different stuff I feel like we're gonna bring uh, back drinks and discussions because that was the forum where we were able to dive in and be a little bit more lax on, on topics and really you know be, be more uh, get get a little crazier in, in the thoughts and, and the things that we know that exist yeah so just know i am grateful and uh again for those who are listening so far we are 
striving continuously to have conversations and open ourselves up to perspectives, knowing that it is going to be the connections that build us as a people, humanity, because that is what we are. We are not different. We are the same. We just need to accept that there are struggles that we have within ourselves. And the more we do self-work, the better we can become interactive with other people and really thrive in the fact that we are going to have to come together in order to grow. So thank you for listening so far. Um, have an amazing rest of your day and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you for listening to this episode of Breakfast At. Today's location, Sioux Falls' very own Phillips Avenue Diner. If you enjoyed what you heard today, feel free to share this podcast with anyone that you believe could benefit from the conversation. If you yourself resonated with any topic, please leave a thought in the comments below. The more we can have these open discussions, the more we can come together as a people.